Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I wanted to switch up this week's introduction and actually bring on my honored guest, Kevin Coates, and allow him to pretty much share whatever is on his heart and on his mind right now. Kevin Coates is a good friend of mine and a self-awareness coach, and he lives here in the Denver community. And with our current events that are going on, I wanted to invite you on, man. And you know what? Uh, what is your message that you want to share to the world and to the Denver community right now? The floor is yours. Before I start, I just want to take a, I want to say a moment of silence, but just a deep breath. I'm devastated by everything that's going on. So uh, I just gather myself and really process the, the conversation we're going to have right now. <sighs> You know, Dave, uh, when I think about all this taking place, it saddens me. Uh, I've experienced a lot of my own racism, uh, my own troubled thoughts around, you know, white, black relationships. There's one word that, that sticks out to me, and the word is foundation. Uh, we're talking about invoking change in the world. Um, when you build a house on a poor foundation, eventually it will, will have cracks. You know, the walls will crack, the, the floor will crack. The house won't really sustain itself. When you build poor foundations on uh, work relationships, intimate relationships, relationships of all sorts, the foundation will eventually determine the course of uh, the rest of the relationship. You know, whether it be a year from now, two years. When I think about America and the foundation that it was built on, it was built on superiority uh, of uh, whites over blacks, enslaving blacks, um, devaluing blacks as humans. And we've had to speak in, in different ways to try and bring that to the awareness of those who started this foundation. Now, with that being said, I do believe that the responsibility is on both sides to close the gap. And not a race thing, but human to human, two people can't sit across from each other with, without having open minds. Um, I think from the white community, uh, there has to be a sense of responsibility to accept what the foundation was built on. You know, um, and I think in the black community, there has to be a, a level of forgiveness, um, a level of trust being built. But the conversation alone isn't enough. I think it has, there has to be actions consistently around the commitments to bridge the gap. Um, that's a hard one because, you know, when we talk mental health and I'm going to come from a psych standpoint, we have egos, we have stubbornness, we have pain, we have trauma have perceptions that have been built, we have interpretations that have been long um, endured, and people can be stuck in their same mental learnings, uh, whether it be racism, whether it be um, how we parent. The mind is a powerful thing, and so when I look at the foundation of this country, uh, it was built on 
a platform that wasn't part of an equilibrium. So we see history repeating itself. We see riots, we see protests, we see people acting out. And what we and what I see in the riots, I see disturbed mentalities. I see poor foundations of self. I see people reaching out, trying to get the attention of those who are in power, um, which happen to be people who are white, who have a lot of the power in this country. And we all know people who have power have a greater chance of influencing and moving mountains as far as uh, viewpoints. Um, whether it be our leader of, of America, of any sort, doesn't matter who it is, if you have a position of power, you have a stronger influence. Um, and how you use that power can, can shift a lot of minds as well. To get to an equilibrium, we gotta sit down and have an open, honest conversation. And I think the conversation has to have a lot of empathy in it. I thought about this, I've had a lot of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I've, I've had a lot of conversations around why whites fear blacks or black men. I've personally gone through this at some of the worst levels that people don't even know. People don't even know. I've been through it myself. When I think about why there's so much fear around black people or people of color, whatever you want to categorize us, it's because of guilt. I think those who are white are of shame and guilt from their ancestry, whether they believe it or not. And you do have some people who just don't care. And, and they love to be in that place. That's just all they know. That's what they were raised and born in. There's a level of guilt. When we shackle and chain any mentality uh, humanistically or any animal and you abuse it and you beat it, it grows in hurt, it grows in despair. Prolonged hurt turns into anger. And if you're not taught how to express that anger in a sensible way, you just impulsively react. So I think that's what we're seeing with all the riots. You're seeing a lot of people um, who are really hurt. Um, they're ridden with a bunch of sadness, um, despair, they're grieving. Um, they feel valueless or devalued. And this is a crowd for help. I can tell you from personal experience where I've come from, People who really didn't value themselves had no compassion, they had no empathy for anybody else. That's why in the black community, eventually we have a lot of murders. People who don't feel worthy, uh, you have homicidal ideation and you have suicidal ideation. It's one of the two for the most part. You either take a life or take something from someone else or you feel so less of yourself or that you don't belong, you feel like you don't deserve to be here. Um, I'm writing a book and one of the things I'm mentioning in the book is that in our community, we don't, suicide rates aren't really comparable to other communities because we've lived in a constant state of survival. Last thing we want to do is take our own lives. We would take from our, from family or friends just to survive. And so what you have is a survivor's mentality, which can be animal-like, which can scare people because some of the tendencies and symptoms of it are irrational. They're very scary. Um, but I also want to speak on generalizing. I don't believe that one cop, one black person, one white person is racist. I just, I just don't believe, I don't believe that's fair, but generalizations of any sort are the easy way out. They're the easy way out because we can say one of whatever, the sample is the population in the whole. And 
I don't agree with that, but it's the easy way out. Not a lot of people are ready to sit down and dig deep uh, on both sides. And that's what I see. And as long as we have people in power or people who don't want to sit down and have an open mind, just have a conversation about how can we bridge this gap? What do the action items look like? Um, how can we systematically influence it in favor uh, for everybody? And this is a, we're years out. We're, we might be decades out, but um, that's just my interpretation. And, and when I look at it all and, and what I see, so you need to have two people willing to sit down and, and admit wrongdoing and then work on forgiveness. And forgiveness is just a hard one, no matter if it's racism or betrayal or of any sort. It's just a hard one to really grasp. Um, I've had my moments of being resentful. I've had my moments of feeling hated just because of the color of my skin. But I think because I've had, I have a strong sense of uh, foundation within myself, I've never changed who I am and who I've become. And I've seen those relationships turn around tenfold. And so I know it's possible, um, but it takes a certain level of self-awareness and a certain level of education um, an openness uh, to really start to bridge a gap. And like I said, it's going to take a while. Um, but if you take two people, you sit down, one is narrow-minded, one is open, eventually someone will shut down. There's not going to be any flow and connection. Um, two people who are closed-minded or narrow-minded who want to one-up each other, they're not going to get anywhere. And that's not even a specific to racism type of conversation. That's just any relationship whether it be our intimate ones, whether it be with our kids, it's just human to human. So um, at all in all, I think the foundation of what this country was built on uh, has long dictated everything that's come after that, you know, uh, to be quite specific. Um, that I know of, we as Blacks didn't write history books that has the, you know, the stories of slavery inside of them. We didn't create that. We didn't write that. Uh, we didn't segregate the schools. We had no control over water fountains and, and all that stuff. These were things that were implemented by people who had knowledge, resources, and control. Um, when you're on the other side of that, think about how valueless someone may feel when all they want to do is get a, give a fair chance to their kids and their families. And when you've been deprived of that, you grow angry and you take, you steal, you rob, you kill just to survive. So it can seem very animalistic um, and some may not want to have that tough conversation, but that's just uh, how I see the reality being, having lived it and experienced it. Um, I don't condone the riots. I don't think it's fair to, to do what's being done to the, the communities and, and all the businesses, but I do understand the mentalities of why people are behaving the way they are. I'm a firm believer that we behave the way we think. and so if you're thinking chaotically or feeling devalued, feeling hopeless, um, you feel mentally suffocated and you'll react in some way, shape or form. And I tell you, man, if someone doesn't value their own life, they're not gonna have that empathy. They're not gonna have the space to value somebody else's, let alone somebody else's material business. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing with the riots. Uh, can't sit and tell you that I know what's going to happen from all this, but there's a huge awakening that's happening with Corona and, and all that's going on. And we're all human. And if we can't come together to make this work, um, 
we'll just continue to see uh, chaos, you know, in our own country. And with that type of chaos breeds more chaotic minds and uh, you, somebody, something has to get, you know, when you're in a relationship, somebody has to surrender for the other person to feel safe, but there has to be a surrender on both sides. Um, and, and one of the things that I, I think about Dave, and I know we've only taken too much of your time. I don't know if this really plays a part or not, but there's two movies that come come to mind when I think of all of this. You know, I can be pretty right brain and creative and start thinking, oh wow. I think of the Planet of the Apes. You know, you, you take you take this ape and you train it and you inject it with something, you make it intelligent. Well now this ape in particular knows how to create a community and uh, establish um, family. Towards the end of the movie, all they want us to do is run across the bridge to get to a, a safe space. Well, the humans felt threatened by the intelligence that, you know, Caesar the May ape really felt. They, they felt threatened. They gave him knowledge and he knew how to build with it. And that's kind of how I felt, I feel, with Black people. We were hindered from being educated. Therefore, it's not a priority in our communities. We long were told that this is something we shouldn't obtain. And it's poisonous. But we do now have a lot of resources to be educated, to, to be successful in this world. We do have a lot of freedom. Um, there have been big strides. I won't say that hasn't happened. Um, but systematically, the things that are not on the surface still do exist. Um, and the last movie is uh, The Joker. I think The Joker was a, a great depiction of mental health. And the moment he stood on top of that car, you saw all of these people come out uh, who felt like he was just a breath of fresh air, even though it was toxic and it was chaotic. It was in you know a very unhealthy essence. There were people who were grieving and felt the way he felt. And when he started to do what he started to do, psychological standpoint, people felt like that was their voice being expressed through him. So they idolized and worshiped that. And and what we have going on right now, you have people following that same mentality. There's a reason these movies do exist, because directors know, they research, and they know it's it can be lifelike, it can be very relative. I say to you, Dave, when have you seen a movie that shows slavery and there's a bunch of rich, wealthy, educated black people with, you know, white people enslaved? Why hasn't that been a movie? Well, I guess it's not a great depiction of reality and nor do we even want that. It's not something we want. You know, we don't want to fight for equal equilibrium to enslave or to be above. We just want to be treated fair. Um, have a fair chance at life because we all just go around this thing once, you know, and then we die. We go on to the next, the next place that's that's meant to be. Um, and so, yeah, it's. Uh, I think there just has to be open conversation at the highest level, among all communities, um, among all expertise, uh, and it, has to, it just has to be open. As long as we're closed, black, white, whatever, doesn't Hispanic, whatever. As long as we're closed, there's no there's just no access points to even transfer any energy to uplift. I, that's just my opinion. Man, I, I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time to, to share that because your message has so much value. And that's why um, here at the podcast, our core value is community. And within our community, we have to have a foundation of inclusion. For sure. And everyone is welcome. And if you believe that Kevin's message has value today, please share it with one or two other people because the voice of change 
starts here with us, you know, as the individual. And what we invite ourselves to do is make change, take action, and do everything that we possibly can to make uh, make our community move forward together. So if you guys are out there and you need resources, please reach out to Kevin. Uh, You can find him on Facebook, Kevin Coates, um, as well as other resources in our community like the Center for Shared Insight. They're accepting new clients for teletherapy. If you just need to get something out, be heard, be seen, these are some great resources within our community. And before I let you go, Kevin, what's one last thing you want to leave us with? Um. Honestly, just uh, try to have an open mind uh, for everyone. Just have an open mind. I know I've been around mental health. I know mental health quite a bit. I'm confident in that avenue. I'm confident in in the human brain and how it works. Uh, And it started with my own traumas. As long as we stay in in some aspects of a a victim mentality or a superiority of another, we will continue to breed hate. We will continue to breed uh, disconnect. And I know deep down, humanistic, that's not what we want. Anger is pretty much prolonged hurt of any sort. And irrational thinking leads to irrational behavior. So I just say try to remain open. Um, try to find ways to continue to heal. Have the conversations that you need to. I've been very emotional myself over the last week. Um, I've been very triggered. My cries haven't come out, even though I feel them within my body. They want to. They just haven't happened. My body works that way. Try to remain open and um, continue to get your mind around some healthy stuff. Uh, Right now, Facebook, social media, rightfully so, you know, it's loaded with uh, content of all sorts, good, bad, ugly. Try to keep something positive in your life. Uh, We're all hurting. this, wakes us, this is just waking us up to something great as it has been for the last 50 plus years. Um, I don't know when it'll be resolved, but try to have a balance of something healthy mentally uh, within your life and remain open. Uh, we won't figure it out now. Uh, we won't figure it out in a year. This is a long-winded process. So um, just do your part as best you can and, and take care of your kids as well. Uh, I've seen a lot of people having to uh, speak on how to explain this to their kids. It's a tough conversation. Do you really want to introduce it so early on? I don't know the answer to that. But if they're seeing it on social media, um, maybe forced to have that conversation. So reach out to your peers and your professional networks and, and just know that community is always a beneficial thing. Um, it's always beneficial to have good, healthy community. Um, and I appreciate a day for you, uh, Pretty much, uh, you inspired me to do this. You know, I was reluctant. I'll admit I was very reluctant to do this just because I want to make sure that I'm communicating respectfully across the board. Uh, but I appreciate you pushing me and helping me level up to expressing this. I usually don't, but I'm grateful for it. So I appreciate that. It's my pleasure, Kevin. We can we can have a conversation um, again. Thank you. Um, we, I'd love to have a conversation anytime uh, yep. next to each other on the t- and not across from each other on the table, you know? It's coming, baby. It's coming. We're going to get there. <laughs> That's exactly right, guys. And stay tuned for the rest of Kevin's episode because we do talk about fatherhood, um, relationships, and building that strong foundation. So I know your time's valuable, Kevin. I'm going to let you go with a big, huge thank you, man. And, um, and tune in, guys, for the rest of the episode because Kevin's got always a valuable message to share. 
I appreciate it, Dave. Thank you. They're going to make mistakes, you know, hopefully not the ones that are so life-altering that it's going to take 20 years to, you know, come back from. But there's no right way. You know, there's no right way. Each family, each kid, each parent, is it's unique to them. Welcome to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast for authentic dating. My name is Dave Glazer, online personal trainer and obsessed with the Enneagram personality assessment. After going through a couple of breakups in 2017, I came across some really inauthentic people when dating in Denver. And instead of getting frustrated, I decided to create a community of authentic people myself. Come along with me on this path to authenticity as we welcome expert guests and real-life daters to share their tools, tips, and knowledge to help you show up as your most authentic self. Uh, We're live with Kevin Coates, the man, (laughs) the myth legend i love this man i don't know about that i appreciate it thanks yeah of course man it's been a long time since we've chatted yeah two years two years it's been about two years and that's on me you were probably episode six or seven of the podcast man seven yeah yep when you first started (laughs) yep and we launched in june two years ago so this is exactly our two-year anniversary and man i just want to know what's happening in your world and um catch me up how is how is shelter in place working for you brother i mean it's been good uh i won't say it hasn't been challenging but i think it's all the mentality and the mindset so you know just trying to stay within the routine um eating well working out uh, working on my projects which that can be a little difficult because you know you can't really interact with people some of the projects you know require other people so um just trying to stay disciplined, uh, keep a good optimistic outlook about everything. You know, I think we're going to come out, uh, come out of this pretty well. Um, a lot of sacrifice, man. It's been a lot of sacrifice. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just staying positive about it. Yeah, what specifically are you talking about when you say sacrifice? Um, financially, uh, time, uh, attention, attention to detail, relationships, um, you know, I think a lot of people at one point, you know, they, they complain maybe about not wanting to go to work, right? And not enjoying the job that they were once working in. Now you're getting some humble pie. And, you know, some of the behaviors that we have to, you know, follow are sacrificial. You know, we can't go to work and make money and uh, nurture friendships and maybe even long distance relationships. You know, it's mm-hmm. a lot of sacrifice. Um, now we're doing a lot of video calling. You know, now we're talking through Zoom and, you know, I don't even know if Skype's a thing anymore, but, you know, we're having to do other means of communication. And so a lot of that takes sacrifice. Yeah, I totally agree, man. And for me, sacrifice at this time, I'm calling it solitude and not isolation. Uh, just sure. to put that different mindset on it, um, yeah. where I can take the opportunity to, to sacrifice dinners out Right, which was right. never really tops on my list or high up in my budget per se. Cause you know, business owner, um, right. I'm a busy person and what I'm sacrificing most is what needed to die in the first place, which was my old life of go, yeah. go, go. Yeah. And that hamster wheel of just mm-hmm. straight up, <laughs> straight For up, sure. just go until you quit and, and get sick or shoot, just fall apart. Yeah. I, you know, to that point, Dave, uh, there's a lot of upside to all of this. Um, I think any experience in life, there's upside to it. It just depends on how you choose to look at it. Uh, you know, we're 
I don't even need to go into all the details of the gains that we've gotten out of this. It's teaching us a lot. We're being humble. Mm -hmm. um, I think those who haven't been tested in life probably take this a little bit harder. And that's where we see a lot of the suicide rates and, um, you know, the increase in depression and, and abuse and, you know, just those emotional regulatory skills and not really knowing how to nurture that or even being aware of where to start. So um, we, we're being taught a lot right now. And it's, uh, it's humbling. Uh, but again, it depends on how you look at it, your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And what I've dug a little bit deeper into is these five mm -hmm. stages of grief mm -hmm. and the fact that depression is stage four. It's a natural healing process of grief where we're facing that feeling of sadness and sure. a low point in our life. But what I think is more important and what I wanted to ask you first is what does an anxious mind want and how do we <laughs> self-soothe that during this time? I love your question because uh, I've been doing kind of like a little mini series of what does, and I know you've probably seen it. And uh, the questions come from a lot of uh, a lot of different conversations I've had with clients, and um, not only do I life coach, but I work with a rural mental health. Uh, so I work with veterans, and I deal a lot with suicide prevention and depression, uh, schizophrenia, just stuff like that, and. Um, what does an anxious mind want? Um, I think it wants calmness and stillness. Um, I, I think it wants. I think it wants uh, the rambling thoughts to diminish, you know, mm -hmm. little by little. And and I, I I truly believe that in terms of anxiety and an anxious state, it's something that's built on. You know, you you become really anxious more and more as you think of a reoccurring thought, and so to counter that or get towards the, the, the light of the darkness, that also takes some gradual awareness and progression to be um, cognizant of uh, what it is that's causing the anxiousness. You know, right now there's a lot of anxiety, you know, and it's overwhelming for a lot of people because not only are, is, is money an issue, uh, it's time, it's uh, freedom. Um, you know, people feel constrained, you know, in the way they feel claustrophobic in every aspect of their lives. And that produces anxiety and, and people have different levels of anxiety. Yep. You're spot on with the, the answer to the question of what does an anxious mind want? And that is calmness. Mm -hmm. And the way that it goes about it, in my opinion, is it mm -hmm. seeks out answers for sure for all those questions that are going on in our minds. Right. So um, what I like to fall back on, and I was having this conversation a couple weeks ago with a men's group I'm a part of through church and, we were talking about anxiety attacks. And in my perspective, I haven't had one in about a year and a half, which is really surprising that during this time where cortisol levels are through the roof individually right. and collectively, I haven't had an anxiety attack. Good for you, man. That's good. Good for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm so blessed. I'm so lucky to have these tools in my toolbox to actually self-soothe during that time. But what I understand about me is that when I'm feeling that anxiousness, I can't go seeking out the answers because I don't have them anyways, mm -hmm. yeah. but who does? I mean, God has the answers. So sure. I turn back to journaling and I turn back to meditation and now I'm adding in breath work. And it's just this opportunity for me to, during solitude, sacrifice the old way for the new. For sure. I had a, um, it's funny you say the old way for the new. I had a call yesterday with the 80 year old young lady. Um, she's been, you know, 
working through some anxiety and, and relationship stuff. And one of the things that really stood out to her was I want to get back to my old self, which was a healthier version, which was a, a happier version of who she was uh, before this previous relationship. Um, and I commended her because she was aware that that person does exist. That person may not be alive and well right now, but that person does exist. And the fact that you are aware that you can get to that state, that mental state, that you can be this person with these habits and these boundaries and all the things that you were before doing meditation and Reiki, that's a start. It's to be aware that that does exist. And I think some of the anxiety that does get created, um, people, whatever your source is or your faith, right? People don't know exactly where to start. And that can feel suffocated and overwhelming. And tackling everything all at once doesn't really bring great benefit. It creates more anxiety and, and more overwhelm. And so uh, just little baby steps, little baby steps really help. Yeah, I completely agree that the most important thing to do in that moment is to begin. Yeah. There's no one path laid out there for anyone. Like mm -hmm. oftentimes we do hit a rock bottom, maybe somewhere close to where your 18 year old is talking about. And along the way to return to ourselves or to rebuild a new version of ourselves, we're shedding layers during that time. Right, right. And we might be shedding the old and replacing it with entirely new, exactly. thicker, more resilient skin. Yeah, exactly, Dave. 100% no, agree, though. Yeah. So uh, what other questions come up from these one-on-one -on -one conversations? I, I see you posting a lot and I want to answer as often as I possibly can. Uh, <laughs> you know, my daughter's about to graduate call, uh, high school this month. What does the teenage mind want right now? <laughs> the teenage mind. Wow. You know, when I posted that question, I, I received, I say we received a lot of great feedback because, you know, I don't post the question just for my own benefit. You know, I love to learn about everybody's insights. And then what I love to see is that everybody, you know, they support each other's and respect each other's opinion. Um, right now in the teenage mind, in my opinion, what, what does it want? Um, I think it wants to find its identity uh, and its belonging in the world. Uh, I think it wants um, to find its voice, which is part of the identity uh, and be confident that that voice is going to be validated through whoever the receiver is, you know, that they're communicating with. Um, I think it wants its independence uh, to not be codependent. You know, um, there's a lot of times where teenagers, um, they, they want independence, but in some right, they're still codependent. And I think that that can be a conflict of interest, you know, between uh, being dependent and codependent. So, I think there's a lot of things that teenage mind want, and those those are just a few, and I can go on and on. But uh, uh, just yesterday, having a call that I had, you know, that young lady, she wanted honesty. You know, she wanted communication, which was amazing because, you know, values like that, they, you would think a mature mind can be great at communicating, but, you know, we're human. And no matter what age we are, we might not be that great at it. But she wanted those things from, you know, people in her life. And that was pretty awesome to see. Yeah, man, I hear that. Um, I'm getting a little choked up because my daughter is about to graduate high school. And I would say within the last six months to a year, 
um, I felt this pull, kind of this inner voice say, Dave, you got to let go, bro. Let go a little bit, yeah. You, you know, bit. just a little bit more, you know, yep. just a little bit more. <laughs> and I think, you know, my faith is very strong. And I think it was God's message to me saying, Dave, let go of control for the benefit of you both. And um, I chose to do that. And it was hard because, oh, man, because, you know, she's, she's getting her license and her grandparents give her a car that's older than she is. You know, this car is 21 years old. It's a badass Chevy truck. And I think she's going to get into some trouble, but you just, you just got to let go, you know, and for my daughter who has a hard time being seen anyways, um, to give her her own voice without a whole lot of pressure and yeah. um, control from me. Um, I, I just felt like it was the best thing for all of us involved, her mom, me, my daughter, and you know, she's flourishing as she transitions and pivots to online education to finish out high school. And, you know, dad's rightfully so put on the back burner for a little bit. For sure. For sure. And, you know, there's another one that, that stands out. They want to trust, you know, within that letting go, they want to trust, which is delicate because we all, I mean, most of us know in, in our field, we know that, you know, the human mind, it take, you know, doesn't stop developing. The brain doesn't stop developing until you're about 25, right? And so we're talking about, you know, your prefrontal and, and all the other aspects of the brain that, that are still developing to make rational, you know, mature or, growth, you know, um, decisions. Um, but it's crazy because part of the learning is through mistakes as well. Right. And so, uh, still learning that, right. You know, so part of it is, you know, perfection in my opinion is an illusion, right. It doesn't exist. And so, you know, we want to, as parents, you know, I have a three-year-old, so I have a long ways away before I, you know, embrace what you're going through. I commend you, but yeah, it's just, uh, they want that trust and they're going to make mistakes, you know, hopefully not the ones that are so life altering that it's going to take 20 years to, you know, come back from, but there's no right way. You know, there's no right way. Each family, each kid, each parent is, it's unique to them. Yeah. I've, I've felt that within the last year or so. Um, the, <laughs> the more she gains identity and her yeah. own voice, uh, the more I want to respect it and, yeah. And that was hard, man, as a, as a father. <laughs> so let's, let's move on to what does the leader's mind want? Mm. <clears throat> the leader with the ego or the leader without the ego, right? <laughs> you know, so it's, <laughs> you know, we, uh, again, it's, I, I just come from a personal experience. I always like to share my stories. And I was a leader for a big corporation at one point. Um, and they break you down into, you know, thought leader, driver, and all that good stuff. And uh, I think a lot of that goes into your personality. Me particularly, I was a thought leader. So, you know, I thought things through, but also delegated. You know, I think some leaders want control. And then some leaders want the celebration to be solely on them from the positive result, right? Um, is that egotistical or is it not? Mm -hmm. uh, right? Mm -hmm. So it varies, but I think the, the leadership that we all really, you know, um, visualize that we all really aspire to be, to embrace, you know, that leader wants to develop those who work underneath that leader to be great employees and ultimately leaders themselves. You know, they want to grow a community and people underneath them 
to be better even than what they were. They want to see other people celebrate uh, and be better. So um, they want to see them grow. They want to see them flourish. And so they delegate responsibility and they, they put trust in that. And even if it doesn't go well, they go back and they assess and analyze and, you know, it's a team effort. So, yeah, it's with the ego, without the ego, it depends on who you are and, and uh, how you want to lead. Some people want leadership to where they can climb the, the ladder and step on other people and they can say they did it, you know. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Yep, and that takes a lot of, quote-unquote, leadership out of their role. Right. Um, that, that puts a lot of control and recognition on them. And how I like to shift my mindset in that situation is from control and recognition in my leadership role is to ownership. I own my decisions as a leader. Mm -hmm. The results are shared by the team, you know, because every, every person involved is a piece of the puzzle. And what I learned from multiple businesses that I own is that I can't do it by myself. None of us can, man. None of us. Absolutely not. And there's no such thing as over-communication from a leadership role. Not at all. Not at all. I agree. And you were talking about that communication between a teenager's mind and a leader's mind. You know, Mm -hmm. like, how does a teenager find its voice? And George Bernard Shaw says the greatest uh, fallacy when it comes to communication is the assumption that it takes place. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, like someone's really gonna do, gonna communicate, you know, if they made a mistake, you know, it's it's no guarantee that it's gonna happen. Even in relationships, right? You know, you've been doing your great, you know, dating podcast, and uh, how many times have you probably heard in your, you know, 50 plus videos, communication being something of importance and, and two people creating somewhat of a healthy relationship, at least at its foundation. You know, it's foundational level. And I don't think assumption was correlated with that word. It, it was more so each person being willing and open and vulnerable to communicate, whether good, bad, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. You know, just expressing, being able to do so. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point, is that over time, a consistent message has come up uh, from my, my pre-interview questionnaire. The number one thing holding people back in relationships is fear. But the next most important theme that comes up is communication. And when we go even further now, after two years of hosting a podcast, it's now comprehension of the communication that is most important. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I can talk all day uh, long. (laughs) You and me both, man. I'm I'm right there with you, man. You know, we can talk all day, right? But if it's not being received or understood or the person doesn't know how to, I mean, it could be even down to a word. You know, you can use you can use a sentence and put a word in a sentence and just lose the person. You know, I mean, it's, it's that finite. Yeah, completely, man. And <laughs> and what I've come to love about the Enneagram as a tool for personal growth is that each of the nine types hear in a different way and they communicate in a different way. Yeah. And even when you use the word direct communication there are two or three personality types that are known to be direct in their communication, but they're still saying on the surface, two different things. And on the underneath the surface, they're meaning a completely different thing. (laughs) And that's where the comprehension comes in is like, we got to ask at least one more question, maybe two more questions to get to the comprehension level while we're communicating with our partner. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, 
something I wish I've learned uh, personally with relationships and communication and, and all of that, you know, connection is something that I value. I really value connection. Um, and what I've learned in terms of how do we, how do I get to a point where I connect with someone, whether it's business, whether it's friendship, you know, whether it's an intimate relationship, um, curiosity, man, just being curious about the other person, you know, um, not really thinking for myself or just thinking about me, but really being curious about the other person, what they have going on in their lives, what, what's on their mind, what's on their heart, just genuinely being curious about somebody else has allowed space to be held um, for that person to express. And I can be a little over curious because, you know, I can sit down and talk with somebody and then I'll ask a question. And from the response, I got three more questions, right? And all of a sudden, you know, I two hours go by and I'm like, I haven't talked about my, I haven't talked about you at all. It's all good. You know, I, yeah. I don't talk about me unless you really want, you know, if you ask a question, I'll answer it. But I'm curious about you. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's personal experience. Yeah, I can relate to that a lot. Um, I was just reading an article earlier about um, how to spot a narcissist. And <laughs> this is what I do in my, in my work day is I, I read and I, <laughs> I digest some information. And, and what you're talking about there, those two to three follow-up questions is empathy. For sure. So what does the empathic mind want? The empathic mind. Great the, question. It's uh, a trick question. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, right? Because, you know, it's... In the essence, you're wanting something for yourself or for somebody else at the same time. And, under, you know, we don't have to go that far, but. Um, now let's do it. Let's get curious. <laughs> let's get curious about that because I think curious. I'm following you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, right. So let's let's talk empathy. Right. It's putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, um, whether it's a good experience or a bad experience. Right. It's empathy. You know, I think people misconstrue, misconstrue uh, sympathy and empathy you know, as always sympathetic. Empathy is what you're really going after. It's really putting yourself in that person's shoes. So what does an empathetic mind want? Um, I think the empathetic mind wants the receiver of the empathy to understand that they are being acknowledged. You know, that the person that's sh sharing the empathy is, I'm here with you. You know, I think that works a lot uh, in suicide ideation. Um, I have, a, I have a dear friend, very close friend of mine, who I, I love dearly. Um, again, curiosity led our conversation down this path. And Dave, this conversation basically, and I've had maybe two or three really good stories around actual suicide attempts, but not really going through with them because of empathy. And so the experience was, I was in the middle of cutting myself. I knew I pretty much hit like a, a major artery. And I end up calling 911. I said, well, what made you call 911? You know, you're in the middle of this mental place and then this physical behavior. And the person said, well, I remember a month earlier, uh, my relative told me that they would be lost without me. And I harvested that and I thought about it over and over. And in that moment, I just thought about that conversation that if I go through with this, this person will be hurt pretty much forever because of my act. And I said, do you know what you exercise in the moment of actually attempting to commit suicide? The person goes, no, I don't. I said, it was empathy. You thought about how somebody else would have felt if you carried this out. 
and, and it just it was like, wow, I never thought about it that way. And I was like, that's powerful that you were still able to access that kind of empathy when, you know, when you're in the place of suicide ideation, you, know, you don't really think about, you know, it's not really about everybody else. It's about you and wanting to get rid of that pain you're experiencing. But that little 1% or whatever the percent is, you know, they exercise some empathy, um, which it gives hope that, you know, any further suicide attempts later on have, have a doorway for some empathy, you know. Um, and so, yeah, empathy is uh, it's critical. I think it's critical. Yeah, it's hard to do. It's hard to get there. It's hard to come by it naturally. I know I certainly don't. And I I love what you said earlier about communication is that in my philosophy, curiosity is the bridge that builds connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or curiosity builds the bridge to connection. For sure. And why I said it was a trick question of like, what does the empathetic mind want is it comes from the heart. Yeah. It's, it's not so much like a, a willpower from your mind that gets you to a place of empathy. It literally is knowing when to shut up and listen yeah. and be an active listener. We were writing about that the other day in a blog post. Um, just actively listen, listening and how do we, from the heart, make our partner feel heard? What's your best advice there? You know, oh, so that being a question, how, ooh, we, ah, man, I could talk for hours about that. Um, there's a lot of nonverbal, you know, let's, let's give an example, right? This is a common one. Uh, husband or wife, you know, I want to have gender, you know, specifics, but husband or wife or significant other gets home from work or a busy day. And there's a lot going on in that experience outside of the home. Well, there's a lot on that person's mind to, you know, want to filter. They want to filter that experience. How was your day? Um, we're going to sit down and have a conversation about it. I'm just going to sit there and listen. Now, how do I listen? Making eye contact, putting away, you know, devices of any sort. I might even turn them on vibrate if, you know, it's busy. And I'm going to hold space. I'm going to look this person in the eyes uh, I want to sit there. I may even do head nods, right? You know, we talk about those kinds of nonverbal and just be with that person. And questions always come out of actively listening. Um, Lately, I've been looking at digestively listening, right? Where you take something in and you really carry it out with your behavior. Um, So we're not just taking in material, but we're going to digest what's what's being said to me, right? It's gonna feed my soul, go inside my psyche. But um, for someone to feel hurt, you're just, you're present, you're looking, you're giving them that eye contact. Um, body language, uh, that can be tricky. I know for me, as an over six foot opposing male, sometimes I will have shoulders facing a woman and I'm listening, I'm so in tune into the conversation. And they may feel intimidated, you know, because of the, the posture. So sometimes I might turn on an angle and lessen up that energy and still make the eye contact. And so uh, those are just little small things that go a long way. Uh, paraphrasing what you've heard, you know, if you, if you hear something, you recite back to the person. So it sounds like what I'm hearing, this is what you said, is that accurate? Yes, no, this is what I really meant. Okay, you know, it's just actually engaging, you know, and, and not listening to speak. 
you know, really just deal with that person. So those are just a few things that really help a person be heard. And as a coach, yesterday alone, Dave, I had five, it was Mother's Day. You know, I had five different types of interactions with people, whether it be message or phone call. Then right after the phone call about a breakup and cheating, I ended up getting on a phone call with a friend whose mother-in-law passed away the night before on Mother's Day, pretty much Mother's Day. There was a lot of active uh, listening going on yesterday. You know, it was a lot of listening going on, but I love it. That's, that's what I do, man. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's accomplishable over technology. You know, it's, it's not impossible to connect over technology. Like we are now it's harder because I'm a physical touch guy. I like to, I like to actively listen with a hand on somebody's elbow or their wrist or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I haven't dated in a while, you know, because, um, (laughs) I specifically, (laughs) I specifically put on my list of to do's this year not really to date that much, you know, so like, (laughs) and I'm grateful for this opportunity of, of solitude to, um, practice empathy for myself, you know, compassion, self-compassion, um, practice empathy for my family members. And then, you know, man, like have conversations like this where I'm digesting what you're saying, as opposed to just hosting a podcast episode. Likewise, likewise. You know, so I really appreciate how you uh, framed the empathy and active listening, because when I was writing about this last week, those are the key points that I wrote down, you know, and a question that I like to follow up a moment like that is if it wasn't clear ahead of time that the person just wanted to talk and be heard, hey, are you looking for my help? Do you want me to help you solve the problem? Or are you just listening, just needing me to listen right now? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a good clarifying, curious question like that, that can yeah. sometimes further the conversation even more, build connection between the two people involved, right. and finally just making the opportunity for your, pers- your partner to feel heard. Definitely, yeah. It's, uh, we like to use the term holding space, you know, it's uh, taking up you know, energy and time. And it's like you said, you know, you want me to help you problem solve through this or do you just want me to be here? You know, um, I had that same kind of conversation when my, my friend said, hey, well, my girlfriend's mom just died. I don't really know what to say. As someone who's been through a lot of grief and had, you know, seen a lot of death and, and experienced it on many different levels, there's no right thing to say uh, in terms of, you know, death. But just being there. You know, if you can physically be there, whether it's holding, which makes it harder. We got into that conversation. Well, you got COVID, right? Are we hugging? Um, you know, am I actually going to be able to go to the funeral? We're going to have a funeral. So now there's even more limitations on different ways to be there, you know, when someone's grieving uh, or holding space. You know, I can say all the words, you know, in the universe, um, but sometimes touch is needed. Well, touch is a little hindered right now. Um so yeah, we got to be creative. We got to be really creative. Yeah, it's breaking my heart right now, man. That like, uh, my sister and I drove to the cabin to see my folks yesterday, and I step out of the car. I haven't seen. I've seen my mom once in the last two months, and like my natural instinct is to go give her a hug. It's Mother's right. Day, and you know I stopped and I was like, "Can I hug you?" And she said no. You know, and it was just like mm. it was so heartbreaking for me. Sure. Uh, 
to be in a beautiful place like the Colorado mountains, but also intentionally spending time with my family, Mm -hmm. uh, making the effort to drive the two hours, which was my sister's idea. It was an amazing idea. And um, I'm holding space for myself on the weekends now, not adding work, not adding social events, which is phenomenal for me to sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. No. So that I can have a more enriching life mm-hmm. with all of my intentions behind it. Right, right. And man, a lot of a lot of us, man, we we didn't know what we really had until we were deprived of it. You know, it's kind of like forced deprivation right now. You know, uh, all the way from food to shelter in some essence, money, um, touch, attention. You know. It's uh, an attention from the right people, you know, whether sometimes, you know, I have a thrill and love her dearly, right? But sometimes you want to have a conversation with, you know, another adult, you know, and just talk about life and then connect on that level, you know. Um, so it's, uh, we've been deprived. It may feel that way, not, I wouldn't say on purpose, but um, regardless of the perspective, there's change. It's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. There's change. We either mm-hmm. adapt or we don't. Um, unique to the individual, as I always say. Yeah. I'm with you, man. And I wrote down a word, like I'm taking notes while we talk, and that's how I digest things. And mm-hmm. we're going away from instant gratification on almost every yeah. level. <laughs> and we're being encouraged in a, a position of solitude to find delayed gratification as a really good thing right now. Really? Yep. Exactly, Dave. 100% agree again, man. It's uh, been taught a lot. Um, again, depending on how you want to look at it, you've been taught a lot about yourself, about your relationships, about work, about your life. You've been mm-hmm. taught a lot. And I was just having this conversation. That New Year's ball at the end of this year, it's going to be probably one of the more emotional New Year's, you know, coming into 2021 in the history of, you know, the world, just because so many lives were lost, you know, during this pandemic and, and lives were altered. And, man, New Year, man, you know, we all make it there, of course. It's just, it's going to put a lot in perspective. This is a time in history for sure. Yeah. And it tells us, it teaches us what to be grateful for. Yeah. You know, that's part of my, that's my, part of my daily morning routine is three statements of gratitude, why it's important to me. And as a result, what can I find from it or what can I feel from it? And, and I know that moments like you're describing on New Year's this coming year will be joyous Uh, for more reasons than ever before. mm -hmm. Holidays, you know, I woke up this morning and I'm thinking about Father's Day because Mother's Day is yesterday. I'm like, how, I mean, how do I celebrate Father's Day? Right. And, how, and speaking of, how are you guys co-parenting right now? Uh, so we, we do the exchange. Uh, we still do the exchange well. Um, uh, of course, within the distance, um, everything's been well, taking proper precautions with masks and all that. But um, all that is still going according to plan. Um, we both are essential workers. I'm in mental health and, you know, she's a nurse. So, uh we're very cognizant of um, taking those measures, you know, but mm-hmm. so far everything's been working out well, you know, especially with the three-year-old in between. Yeah, I, I remember Madison at three years old, man. She was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but I also remember how challenging it was as we were divorcing or just coming out of our divorce. Uh, last month was 15 years. And yesterday being Mother's Day, I, I have become more and more grateful for how hard my, my daughter's mom has worked for the two of them over the sure. last 15 years. For sure. And she deserves that recognition, you know. Uh, no matter where our relationship stands at any one point, uh, she deserves that recognition. I, I agree. I agree. We, uh, you know, uh, made something for my daughter to make her, to hang up inside the home, you know, communicated with the Happy Mother's Day and, you know, just making sure that that recognition was, was there. You know, the ego gets tricky, man. You know, and no matter how many years removed, right, your ego still wants to find all these whatever reasons that it's just this heaviness for no reason, you know, safety or whatever the illusion is, but you got to fight through that. Um, and part of that is thinking outside of yourself and what's best for uh, your little one or the kids. And it depends on your personal development. How much have you worked on you to be able to, to have communication like that, especially if you're not, you know, in a relationship anymore. It takes a lot takes a lot of practice a lot and that's a key word too is it's a practice yeah you don't suddenly step out of the gate one morning and wake up and you're like you know what i'm going to be a completely changed person today i'm going to respect my ex right (laughs) no man i mean that's that's it was a decade worth of hard work and uh neither one of us gave up on our daughter you know and neither And neither one of us gave up on ourselves either, you know, like there were some real low points on either side. Um, I recall uh, a summer when Madison's mom wasn't going through a great season in her life and she would call up and say, hey, can you spend the time with Madison right now? And without making space or holding space for my ex, without being there, quote unquote, for my ex, I was all, I was still there for the family unit, you know, the structure, the dynamic that we had created just by spending that time with my daughter and being grateful for it too. Yeah. Yeah. It gets, it's tricky, but it's, it's worth it. At the end of the day, it's worth it. It's all ties into, all ties into, you know, the, the mental well-being of that young mind. Again, we talked about the teenage mind. So if you, some teenage minds, they, they want an identity, right? But what if you go through a separation? The identity can be skewed. You know, it can be pulled in two different aspects. Um, you live with mom, you live with dad, and my room's like this here. It's this, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot on the, on the child, and that can create, you know, some um, challenges from a personal development standpoint. Um, I've seen that person working in the residential treatment facility with at-risk youth. I've seen it full on, Dave. I mean, I, you know, it's, uh, I commend you. I do. I commend you for being able to stay the course with all the little lows that come with it because uh, it's not easy. Not easy at all. No, it certainly isn't. And we did the best that we could. Mm-hmm. And now that you bring up at-risk youth, I've got to give a, a shout out to that kiddo of mine because mm-hmm. she put her head down this year when her high school uh, shut down and they had to transition to 
online education, which yeah. we're more than set up to do technologically speaking in our, in our world today. But she's had her eyes set on a psychology degree and awesome. working with at-risk youth through music therapy. That's her path through college. And I've just got to give a shout out to this freaking awesome kid that we have. <laughs> That's great, man. That's great. And just from what I've heard, you know, and her story, from what I've heard from you, uh, I second that shout out. I do. Um, a lot of trials and tribulations through it all. And, and that's great to hear that, you know, she she has a path that she would like to go down. You know, I, I wish her well. I wish her well with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was really funny. We were having lunch one day and she's giving me a hard time for like, all right, she's 17 and we're starting to get like, become friends. And she's yeah. giving me a hard time for checking out the waitress. She goes, she goes, dad, that girl went to my high school last year. And I'm like, oh no. I mean, like, did I just lose my daughter's respect right there? For sure, what, yeah. What this, what this moment over lunch really did for us, and this is pretty recent, you know, um, I got a lot of respect for this kid, but she might be the funniest person I've ever met. So uh, we're catching up. We haven't seen each other in a few weeks. And I'm like, hey, uh, are you still dating that young, that young kid that I heard you were dating? And she's like, oh, no. And she tells me the story. And the way that she was speaking about her relationship was so emotionally intelligent and aware at her 17 years old that like my jaw drops to the table because one minute she's giving me a hard time for checking out the waitress. And then next she's explaining to her father in a completely authentic and natural way. What, what, what was the reason that caused the end of her budding relationship as she's a senior in high school and I just like I just had this moment with my daughter and it made my heart grow and I didn't even know what to say I'm like wow Madison I'm really impressed with how mature you just described your own life you know you you get credit you and you know your mom get credit for allowing her to develop that you know to be free-willed and discover that part of her and I mean, the sky's the limit with that growth, man, as far as her building healthy relationships. Uh, for her to be able to identify now at 17, you know, the 25-year-old Madison is going to be uh, remarkably aware of what she wants and does not want, you know, and that's going to be awesome. You're going you're gonna to look at it and just be sitting there again like, well, you got it somewhat figured out. You know, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the ride. Yeah, man, we are, we are very blessed and mm-hmm. – I can't wait to see her grow into that woman that she is becoming already, you know, and that's a, that's another tribute to the season in our lives of like how adaptable we are around mother's day, you know, Um, how adaptable we will have to be for father's day and how flexible we are in letting go of control as our children grow up. Definitely. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Kevin, if, if, if your message resonated with somebody today, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? You know, uh, I got an Instagram about six months ago. I haven't figured out how I was, how I want to use it. Um, it's unconscious remastered, um, but primarily on Facebook. You know, mm-hmm. you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I have a lot of projects that I'm working on. I think two years ago, I mentioned to you, I was writing a book. Well, uh, I changed up the title and uh, just a little sneak peek about the book. Uh, it's going to be called A Book With Nothing In It. It's the title of it, A Book With Nothing In It. So, uh, 
Yeah, I got that in the works with Facebook. You can find me on Facebook, and it's just my name, Kevin Coates. And, uh, you know, shoot me a message. Um, we can talk and follow the little series that I do. I have some videos coming out as well on uh, how I got through my uh, 20 years of uh, trauma, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. just how I got through losing a loved one, things like that. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, Facebook primarily, for sure. Of course. Yeah. I tagged you in this Facebook live and I'll be sure to put all your, all your details in the show notes when we produce this as a podcast episode. Sounds good. Before I let you go, is there one thing that one message that you want to send us off with? Man, man, one message. Give me one message, huh, Dave? Just one. I got 30 messages. Just man. one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one message. Um, during these times right now, Find out your foundation of self at the very baseline. Find out who you are at the very baseline foundation of who you are. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, the not so great, the flaws. Get a really deeper understanding of that. Um, learn to accept that. Learn to add forgiveness. Uh, understand what your values are, what's important to you. I think when you get around these concepts and you add those to your foundation of self, um, your relationships of all sorts, they, they, they're going to manifest in something great, especially after this pandemic. Um, so find out your foundation of self, no matter what age you're at, foundation of self. Phenomenal, man. Yeah. I couldn't agree more that self-awareness is the key to unlocking your, your life's true potential. Yeah. And uh, here at the podcast, we talk about five pillars mm -hmm. of optimal health and more on that later. But you know, if there's ever an opportunity for us to gather a group of men to do a virtual, a virtual conversation like this, just hit me up and I, I'd be happy to, uh, to jump on and, and be a co-facilitator with you. Yeah, no, we, let's, uh, let's put something together, man. We can do that and uh, let's do it. Um, okay. I'm with it. Okay. The, what the world needs most now is self-led men who are showing empathy for themselves and, and their partners and their loved I ones. I agree, Dave. Uh, yeah, let's get together and put something out there and uh, just have a conversation. Um, and we'll see what comes out of it. The, the goal is for growth and abundance and joy and all those uplifting feelings and emotions. And uh, I think we can create something with that. I agree. Well, it was my pleasure, Kevin, to host you. Uh, so glad we got the live, the live video to, uh, to go through this week. Sure. And, uh, and let me know how I can help you in the future. I just absolutely love your message. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you having me on and uh, continue to do the great work you're doing. And, you know, we'll, we'll be in contact always. Uh, if I can help you in any way, I'll be here, my guy. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Have a right. wonderful day. You too now.